We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side. That is the best environment to see gold increase its value. Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovics. Joining me today is Kevin Wadsworth from NorthstarBadCharts.com. Kevin, how are you today? Thanks for joining me. <laughs> it's great to speak to you again, Tom. It's been a while, so uh, it's, it's great to catch up. I'm looking forward to having a, a good chat about what's going on at the moment. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to speak with either you or Pat, either as a team or individually, and I always learn lots from you guys. But you know, before we hit record here this morning, we were kind of discussing this idea of really risk management and understanding the bets that you're making based on these technical indicators. You know, this is something that, you know, as you said, can turn a lot of people off. But when done properly, when understood properly, I think is a very serious and interesting tool to be able to use in these markets to guide you to be able to understand where some of these prices are ultimately heading, right? Yeah, I mean, look, Tom, um, people are always looking for you. I mean, you're not going to get many uh, clicks, likes, or uh, views from sitting talking about risk and money management for very long because people very quickly get get bored about it. But it's seriously, you know, if if you're looking at this uh, podcast now and you're thinking risk and money management, what the heck is that? How do how does it work? I'd really, really encourage you to, to to study it and learn about it first before you start sticking, you know, all of your life savings into StockX or you know StockY or you know cryptocurrency Z or whatever it happens to be. Because without risk and money management, you risk being completely wiped out, and you risk seeing your your NAV, your portfolio, you know, dwindling to just a, a tiny fraction of where you started. By using risk and money management protocols, which is stop losses, position sizing, all that kind of thing. And I'm not going to go into the details here because it'll just bore everybody rigid. But you know, by by using that on each trade, what you what you can do is gradually build your portfolio safely over time. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm a you know I'm I'm a, I'm a forecaster. I'm a qualified forecaster with you know decades of experience in, in the art of forecasting and science of forecasting. But you know, and I have to emphasise this. You know, none of this is financial advice. But it's you know something I'd strongly urge. And it's common sense, really. If you're not using risk and management, risk and money management uh, techniques in your trading, then I'm afraid you're you're very likely to get burned badly at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, you know that's the combination of the two is the important part, right? Is understanding what you are risking and understanding what the downside is while understanding what your, let's say, target upside is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all very well looking at a chart and pointing an arrow to the top right-hand corner of the chart and saying, you know, it's, it's going up there because I, you know, because the narrative says it's going up there. Uh, that's great. And, it, you know, it, it kind of um, introduces bias and all, all sorts of things. But, you know, what you should be doing is observing your trade very closely, setting a stop loss. So that it doesn't do what you think it's going to do, then without any emotion, without any bias, you just step aside and you wait for the technical chart to evolve and develop and wait for the trade to come to you. There's no need to, to chase trades, you know, whether it's cryptocurrencies or the stock market or NVIDIA, you know, going up, you know, 10% in a day or whatever. You know, you should never have fear of missing out. Never. There are trades all around us where you have great risk and reward setups. And if you don't really understand what risk and reward 
is, then it's, um, again, you know, I'd encourage you to learn about that. It's a case of weighing up what the downside uh, risk is versus the likely upside reward without being too greedy with your upside targets. We can all point an arrow up to new all-time highs and say, you know, the stock market's going up to whatever value. But you need to use some kind of technique to actually estimate your target and and not be too greedy about that target. You want to be exiting into strength. You want to be exiting that trade when people around you are saying, why are you exiting that trade? I'll use an example, you know, and I don't think Pat will mind me talking about this. We exited um, Cameco a little while back, and that particular uranium trade had reached our measured move target. You know, people were saying, well, why, why are you exiting Cameco? You know, the uranium market's a great bull market, and you know, there's all sorts of fundamental reasons why it's going up another gazillion percent. Fact was, it had reached our measured move target. We'd grabbed the move that we wanted to. We'd taken a gain of, I think it was getting on for 70%. And that, you know, perfectly happy with that gain of, you know, almost 70% on that particular stock. But talking about those gains, you know, that doesn't really mean anything. It's a question of what did your NAV go up by? And I think in that particular case, it was about 6%. So the NAV gain, if you've got a 100,000 portfolio, went up to 106,000 on that trade. So it's a 6% gain on that one trade. The fact that it went up 60, 70% is, is irrelevant. And, you know, if you hear people talking about, oh, you know, I put on a trade and it went up 100% or 200%, you really need to see that as a red flag. Because people focus on those numbers without ever actually saying, well, what was your risk? What was your reward? What was your position size? How did you achieve that? How did you play it? Because did you get lucky? You know, that, <laughs> did you, exactly. Did you get lucky? Everyone gets lucky in a bull market. So, you know, there are lots of red flags with technical analysts out there. And if they're talking about, you know, just the, the gains of individual stocks, then that's um, it's a sign that they're probably not using risk and money management properly. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting let's say the language that we've been using so far in this discussion, because really this is, as you said, it's, it's boring stuff. It can be, you know, it's not as exciting to think about this stuff as promising these crazy gains. But I think, you know, another market that a lot of, a lot of participants have either been bored by or over promised has been the gold market. You know, while it has been somewhat boring and we've been kind of trading sideways here for several months, we've been holding above this $2,000 level. So why don't we start with the gold chart, how you see it and how you see this situation with many weekly closes or, you know, even monthly closes here above that $2,000 level and what that structure starts to build. Yeah, sure, Tom. I'm going to share my uh, screen now. So hopefully you're uh, seeing the chart that uh, I've got on my my screen here. And this is just an opener, um, just to set the scene. And um, people complain about gold and complain about it not um, doubling or tripling or quadrupling in value. That's not what gold does. We need to set expectations with gold. Gold tracks your loss of purchasing power. Okay. So gold does it in surges. It'll surge and then it'll pull back. It'll surge, it'll pull back. So it's all about the timing. If you're going to be entering gold as a trader, it's about the timing. It's about spotting the important breakout, spotting the capital flows from the stock markets towards commodities and precious metals, and then playing that trade, like the period between 2000 and 2011, for example. But over the decades, this is what gold does. This chart is a representation of what gold has done for, well, quite frankly, centuries. You know, mm-hmm. one, two, three thousand years, gold has done this. Your one gold coin will buy you much the same over the 
decades, as it always has done. As an example of that, if you'd bought a house in the US in 1975, you'd have had to hand over 240 ounces of gold. Of course, gold back then was much cheaper than it is now. But I'm talking about the number of coins, gold coins, you need to hand over. Now, today, if you've still got those 240 ounces of gold sitting in a you know, in a in a basement somewhere, or if you've had a boating accident, you managed to find it at the bottom of the lake, then those same 240 ounces of gold will buy you a house. In the US, right. these are average house prices. So over that 50-year period, gold has done exactly what it's supposed to do. It's preserved loss of purchasing power. So, you know, set your expectations about gold. Now, looking at the gold chart itself in detail, and, you know, everybody wants to chase the huge moves everybody's expecting big gains with a z at the end of it for example <laughs> you know everyone's everyone's emojis. <laughs> yeah exactly and that's that's what gets the clicks and that's what gets the attention that's what gets everybody excited you know when you get a major breakout like we saw back in 2019 if you go back through my um social media feed you'll be able to see that i projected the move from there to two thousand dollars followed by a large correction now that move and that whole process that took you know a number of years to complete was entirely predictable to the extent that you could weigh up the probabilities of various different scenarios and the probabilities favored a move from this 1300 region up to 2000 followed by a very long tedious correction consolidation and i posted that chart back in 2019 2020 uh, and and we've been following that roadmap ever since and this is what it looks like now so we've built out uh, a classic cup and handle pattern. This is a two-week candle chart on the log scale. So each one of these candles represents two weeks of price action. Now, you know, I know you've got a range of viewers watching these um, podcasts. Some will understand technical analysis, some won't. But in, in essence, a cup and handle pattern uh, is um, exactly what it says on the tin. It looks like a cup with a handle on it. Mm -hmm. Now, the, in, in technical analysis terms, when the handle is complete, it's a very, very bullish chart pattern. It's the end of a, a very long process that leads to the next bull market. So we're at the stage now with gold, having just broken out of the handle and making a little flag on top of the handle. So on the face of it, gold is building an incredibly bullish pattern. But there is a, there is a fly in the ointment here. And there is a problem. Uh, and I'll go on to explain that. The gold chart, if you, instead of just drawing the handle on the, on the cup in here, this is the this is the cup and hand that, that entire pattern there that goes back to uh, what year does it go back to 2010? If I just flip to this chart back to this chart again. You can see that is this period inside the smaller cup which I've drawn here. The whole thing fits into a cup pattern, and so it's a, another way of analysing this cup and handle is with two large arc patterns. Now, that's fine, but the upper resistance line now goes all the way back to 2011. And that's kind of the last uh, line in the sand that gold really needs to overcome. And that resistance line comes in somewhere around, around about 2070 or thereabouts. It's a little bit below $2,100. So until we're really above that, we're not quite in the in the clear for, for gold's long-term bull market to progress. We could quite easily see several months of further consolidation and we'll know if that's going to be the case by observing this gold chart here and whether this flag pattern fails and breaks back down below uh, this sort of 1970 to 1990 region so this is a very good example of not jumping the gun too early 
being patient and waiting for around about $2,100 on a monthly closing basis. And if you happen to be a stacker of precious metals, if you're stacking gold and silver, then that's absolutely fine. Anything around $2,000 or less is great. And with silver, anything around $25 or less is great as well. So, But for trading it and for trading the next big bull market move, which is going to take us up many, many hundreds of dollars, we're not there quite yet. Uh, the same can be said for silver. Uh, whilst gold is sitting at its all time near its all-time highs, silver is nowhere near its all-time highs. It's about 50% off them and hasn't broken out on a technical basis. And but the chart pattern, which you know I, I put in front of um you know the social media uh, audience back in 2019, the chart pattern is progressing very, very well. There's nothing about that cup and handle that is broken at the moment, and it's absolutely fine. You'll notice the March 2020 low produced a spike all the way down here. And what that means is that there is a second arc that is present here, and it's this one, uh, which is defined by the wick on that candle. And you can see immediately what that does to the potential downside for silver. Mm -hmm. So again, until this is this is why you know we emphasize over and over and over again to anybody who's prepared to listen that you must wait. For the confirmation, it's all very well having these bullish roadmaps, and Pat gets criticised for it a lot because he puts bullish roadmaps on social media. But he always um, identifies the breakout level, the level through which you must move mm -hmm. before the upside uh, potential is released. And and you know people will always look back here in uh, 1998. You know, silver was wanting to break out. People might have been getting excited because it moved up from. Uh, what three and a half dollars to seven dollars? It had gone up a hundred percent. But look what happened! It pulled all the way back and fell from seven dollars all the way back down to to sort of four dollars, not far off a sort of fifty percent drop, a forty percent drop. So until you get the confirmed breakout in what we call the evidence cluster, you find a whole range of evidence in here: moving averages, Ichimoku clouds, resistance lines. There's a cluster of evidence there, and this is where your weight of evidence comes in. You get the weight of evidence. And also behind all of this, you have to have the capital flows from the investment um, uh, world, if you like, from, from what I'm talking about is the, the ratio of precious metals to the stock market. And precious metals never have a bull market without breaking out versus the S&P. So the ratio chart of um, gold and silver to the S&P is critical here. Until you get that breakout for gold versus the S&P, then it's not a tradable um, setup. It's not a tradable move. Great for stacking because you, you're getting your gold and silver at suppressed levels until it breaks out. But for anybody else, um, it's, it's not um, it's not the right environment. And you only have to look at um, precious metals miners uh, versus uh, gold to see what I'm talking about. So this this is a chart of something called the ASA, the ASA index, and the ASA index um, tracks or perhaps I should say the GDX uh, index tracks as a tick, pretty much tick by tick. Okay, so if you look at the ASA chart and you pull up the GDX chart, they follow each other very, very closely. But the reason I'm using ASA is because it goes back 50 years. Okay, it's got much more price history. So this, what this chart is showing us is how precious metal miners, gold and silver miners, perform versus gold over time. Okay, now, what you can see is that Precious metals miners, and this is the ASA index. I say it, it, GDX tracks it incredibly closely. 
the miners have lost 95% to gold over this period, and they continue to lose to gold over the long time frame. There are periods when you get an upsurge and the miners outperform the metal. But look, you know, step back for a second and just realize that the, the, the periods of time when that is the case are, are very short. And even if we get this, you know, it's a short period of time that you want to be in the miners rather than the metals. And here's another thing. Here's another thing. Look at the last precious metals bull market. We know it took it, it took off in the year 2000. So that's just here. And we know it ended in 2011. And that's over here. Okay. Look what happened with the chart. The miners outperformed the metal because the chart's rising. And then the metal outperformed the miners. So, but, so that between 2000 and 2011, both the miners and the metal had performed equally because they're both because the chart ended up back exactly where it started. So the gains that the miners gained over the metals were completely given back by 2011. So the net result was that between 2000 and 2011, there was no advantage to being invested in the miners. One thing, one caveat to that is that you can use a ratio chart to spot the miners that are outperforming the ASA index. And we do this uh, for our website members with, um, well, multiple markets, whether it's you know, um, precious metals or whether it's the uranium market or cryptocurrencies, you're able to use a ratio chart to pick out the handful of miners that are outperforming the ASA index. So if you want to be invested in the miner, pick the winning horse, pick the one that is outperforming the general index. And you can use the ratio charts to do that. Um, and and that's, why, that's why the ratio charts come in extremely useful. But I just wanted to make that point that over time, um, it's very clear uh, which is the winner when you're when you're you know if you're going to hold something for 10 20 years don't let it be the miners all sorts of issues around around miners that gold doesn't have and you know gold doesn't have issues with you know um the price of oil increasing the cost of getting the metal out of the ground now when it seems to me that the miners are handing over <laughs> one thing to get something that's a lot worse they're handing over gold which is you know, legitimate currency. It's the ultimate currency in a way. And they're getting, what are they getting in return? They're getting, what, US dollars? Oh, oh, what, that doesn't sound like a very good trade to me. Anyway, that's another another conversation. Yeah. Um, well, so, yeah. I know, mean, that's, is, that's, that, <laughs> yeah. Kev, this is, it's interesting to be able to look, you know, to these periods in time and hopefully be able to, you know, identify when you want to be in these markets and when you want to be out of these markets. You know, something I've, I always try to, you know, have a, a proper perspective on is that we shouldn't be married to any of these any of these investments or trades, right? As much as we, you know, believe in the the ideas of gold and what it represents for us as investors, I think it's important to step back and be able to say, you know, there are times when you want to have, let's say, more of your net worth invested in it. And times when you want to, let's say, back that percentage of your portfolio off. And I think that that is, you know, again, that's not sexy or clicky to be able to talk about. No, I mean, gold has a role to fulfill, doesn't it? And it's, it's, a, it's a hedge against a whole load of bad events. So if you're of the view that you know, a geopolitical event is headed our way of some kind or a financial 
crisis of some kind, a currency issue of some kind, then gold and silver precious metals are physical. You've got them in your possession. They um, perform a role, and that role is, you know, I, I think very important and may well become increasingly important over the next uh, few years. Um, I've got some more charts that uh, might give you an indication of, of where this might be might be heading. Just before we do that, though, um, I think you wanted me to touch on um, uranium. Um, and I'll just I'll just quickly touch on the uranium chart because this is um, a, a, a sector that again, if you go back through my social media feed, you'll be able to see that back in 2019 and 20, I got very excited about the uranium sector and I took my positions in the sector at the at this precise breakout and back test here, um, and I was posting all over social media about it again for anybody that would that would uh, that would listen, um, but. What's happened here is we've we've had this um, evidence cluster by the um, chart um, carving out this perfect geometric arc, mm-hmm. having a false breakdown in the COVID panic, um, and then a rapid upside reversal, and even a beautiful textbook back test. Now, if you're not um, a chart geek and you're not familiar with technical analysis, all of that will sound like complete voodoo and gobbledygook, and I'm sure you're going to get comments on the <laughs> on this video saying, "What's the guy talking about?" Is you know, it's all just uh, mumbo jumbo. Um, well, I'm, I'm a scientist. You know, I'm, I'm my background is in science, and what I can tell you is that my um, training has enabled me to sort of see this in terms of almost kind of like physics, uh, mathematics and physics. And what you're observing here is a shift in capital, capital rotation from a very unloved sector uh, back into the sector for whatever fundamental reasons. We don't need to know the fundamental story. All we need to do is observe the chart and observe that the chart broke down and then something happened to cause that breakdown to be negated. And and we got a little back test, a little check. The markets were just checking that uh, this was a real um, bull market, if you like. And maybe it's the algos that do this. Maybe, you know, it never ceases to amaze me, but we see it on chart after chart after chart, time after time after time. The chart breaks out above a resistance level and then comes back just to check it, make sure it's still there, and then off it goes. And you get a cluster of evidence here. It's not about one thing. It's not just about me looking at the chart and drawing some pretty lines and saying, well, okay, it's gone above my lines, so therefore it's a bull market. It's it's about the things things that I can't, control myself like the 36 month moving average bull markets only happen when you're above a three-year moving average bull marks markets also only happen when you're above the ichimoku cloud which is a technical indicator on the chart is this funny red and green cloud looking thing and it's it's used to project um horizontal oh, sorry not horizontal it's used to project um uh, support and resistance uh, into the future so you can see now where the support is on the Ichimoku cloud. You can also see the volume support where all the trading volume is on the right hand side of the chart. So what we're doing as a technical analyst, if you're doing it properly and you're doing it well, you're building a picture, you're building a weight of evidence that is giving you a probability, not a certainty, a probability of what is likely to happen. What what's most likely to happen? If you know what's most likely to happen, even if it's only a 60% probability and you've managed to identify that it's, it's better than 50-50 then you can use that coupled with risk and money management 
And what that then means is that actually most of your trades can fail. Okay. You can have 60 or 70% failure rate on your trades, but still make a profit. Mm-hmm. And that sounds that sounds ridiculous to say that you can have 60 or 70 or even 75% of your trades can fail. But the 25 that don't fail and that reach their targets, they completely wipe out your losses and put you in profit. Okay. So again, if you don't know what risk and money management is, it, you, it, if for no other reason than that, you should be should be you know studying it. But we had a renewed indication of a continuation breakout back here at um, the 20, 23 to twenty four dollar level, and that was the next. That was the only other entry point actually since the bull market started. Uh, so that was our um, our entry point, um, and of course we've got this resistance zone we've got to work through now. So risk of money management means that we would exit the trade whilst we're still in profit if price continues to come down. And then re-enter on a breakout above this resistance zone because that now is the clear, clear point that we need to break out above to enact this target, which is somewhere between forty-six and fifty dollars, um, and probably, probably with an overshoot into the fifty to sixty-five area, mm-hmm. and then a possible later uh, target beyond that um, in the um, in the years ahead as we get sort of twenty twenty-six, twenty twenty-seven. So as long as that roadmap continues to hold true and as long as the price doesn't break below the edge of this arc and perhaps more importantly below the 3 year moving average because the arc is something that i have drawn and the 3 year moving average is something that the market has drawn for me mm-hmm. um so the 3 year moving average is more important and so uh, as long as we remain above that 3 year moving average and if we test it like last time that's okay but we have to remain above it so that's that's how you use weight of evidence that yeah, that's how you use technical analysis and that's how you use risk and money management to to be winning even when you're losing. Well, I think that's a really important point is the idea of that risk management, right? <laughs> like you said, it's crazy to people to be able to think that you're going to lose on 70% of your trades and only win on 30%, but if you're using your risk management properly, that that isn't going to kill you because you're if you're using trailing stops or you're identifying that downside risk and it breaks that target, then it's time to, you know, take that trade off. Yeah, tra- I mean, tra- trailing stops are certainly something that I think quite a lot of people use. And it's, you know, scaling in and scaling out is another mm-hmm. technique as well. And so they're kind of variations and additions to the uh, simple idea of risk and money management where you set a stop loss at the point you enter the trade, you set your profit limit at the time you enter the trade, and you just let the trade run. And if it hits your stop loss, then so be it. You lose, you know. Well, in our case, we we never risk more than two percent per trade. So, you know, with six open trades, you would never lose more than twelve percent of your nav if every single one of those goes wrong. Mm-hmm. But you only need one or two of those to work out. And even if the other uh, four or five don't work out, then you're still in profit. Kev, something that you touched on in that chart was this idea of volume, right? On the right hand side, I wanted to get your thoughts on. If volume gives you a different signal, and how you use that, yeah, it's um, it's, it's one and the same thing. So I'll, I'll just show this chart again. You'll notice this big uh, bunch of trading volume here, buying and selling that's going on in this zone here, and another zone down here. Okay, this this kind of peak in the graph on the right hand side that's trading volume. The bigger the the peak coming out of the right-hand side of the chart there, the more trading volume there is. And you'll notice that in this broad zone where all this trading volume is, it's where we're getting stuck. 
It's where I've marked the resistance zone. Mm -hmm. This whole area that we're in at the moment now is a little bit like trying to walk through molasses. You know, you, you can sort of move, but you're kind of struggling. As soon as you break free of that trading volume, then you tend to move up more freely and more rapidly. Um, it, 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 and, and the same down here. You see this trading volume here down at the bottom. And so the support and resistance lines on the chart and quite often other technical analysis coincides with these little peaks in the trading volume. Each time you get above a peak in the trading volume, you're also breaking above a resistance line. So it's the same thing. The resistance lines are created by the trading because it's the trading that's moving these candles and it's the candles that create the resistance lines. So really, when you're putting resistance lines, horizontal resistance lines on a chart, all you're doing is you're identifying where, where the volume is. So if you use um, TradingView or one of the other um, anal um, you know, sort of trading um, platforms, then displaying your trading volume by price as well as by uh, time at the bottom here, by, by putting trading volume by price, it helps you sometimes just locate where those resistance lines should be. If you're, if you're struggling to know where the main resistance line is, it'll usually coincide with one of the peaks on this trading volume. Um, and getting above that means that you're turning that from uh, resistance into support, which is really important from a technical chart trader's point of view. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wanted to sort of talk about where, where all this is going, because I think the last time we spoke, um, I, was, I was probably quite bearish on the stock market. And I think quite a lot of people were. And it's important to say at this point that uh, when haven't we have not been shorting the stock market. We've not had any particular positions in the stock market because of reservations about what the stock market is doing at the moment. But I think it's becoming a lot clearer where we're going with the stock market and therefore probably also with, with cryptocurrencies. Uh, and it hasn't, to my mind, the evidence has been quite evenly distributed over the last several months uh, with with stock markets and cryptocurrencies. But uh, I, I think it's I think these charts. I'll, I'll just show you these, this next set of charts, and I'll give you an idea of where I think we're likely to be going. This is this is the um, U.S. government bonds ten-year yield. So when the um, bond yields are going up, bonds themselves are not um but basically the yield does the opposite to what the bond does okay so 10-year yield goes up then you got you're in a bond bear market effectively so government bonds or sorry i should say government bond yields have been in a what a 30 40 year downtrend uh, since 1980 in fact it's more than 40 years uh, and the 10-year yield was contained below what i call the pain line okay and i called it the pain line because um, to my simplistic way of viewing it, and I'm not an economist, when the 10-year yield breaks out above the pain line, something bad is, is is likely to happen. Bad, why? Well, bad because there's there's a reason why that pain line is there. It's there because of debt to GDP, effectively. It's there because we've got a growing national debt, okay, and there's a burden of paying the interest on that debt. And the interest on that debt is determined by the yields on government bonds, whether it's a two-year yield, a 10-year yield, a 30-year yield. And they've all been in multi-decade downtrends, and they've all broken out. So breaking out above there makes me think that there's a financial um, conundrum where meeting the debt obligations, the interest payments on the debt, are going to be problematic because 
every time in, in the last 40 years that this chart has tried to break out, it's been pushed back down until it got pushed back down so far that, you know, 0%, you know, how, how long can you sustain that? Right. And the rapid upside reversal, so a false breakdown, rapid upside reversal, led me back in 2020 to, to tell, again, anyone that would listen, that we're entering a new paradigm. And I, I got a lot of stick at the time from people saying, well, you know, you're using very sensational terminology there, saying we're entering a new paradigm. Well, there, there are, what, one, two, three, there's four paradigms on this chart. One back here in the pre-1954, when we were below the pain line and we broke out. And then we had a couple of decades leading up, particularly through the 1970s, of rapidly rising uh, bond yields and interest rates. Now, that was possible, I suppose, because GDP was falling from um, 70 to uh, 31%, and the Fed funds rate rose from uh, 1.4 to 16 points. I should say uh, debt to GDP fell from 70 to 31%, and Fed funds rates um, rose from 1.4 to 16.39%. So what I'm saying there is that um, debt to GDP was dropping, so the um, the problem was decreasing as rates were rising. So that kind of mathematically seems doable. But what's happened since since 1980 is that debt to GDP has risen from 30-odd percent to around about 130 uh, percent. The Fed funds rate had to drop to make that sustainable. It had to, had to drop from 16.39 to nearly zero because of the debt to GDP rising so much. That's what kept our debt repayments um, feasible. Manageable, you know? yeah. um, <laughs> but now it seems to me that they're not feasible. Uh, we are above that resistance line. And to me, that resistance line is the point at which things become um, unsustainable in the longer term. Uh, there's a couple of indicators at the bottom here that show you very clearly the trend changes from uh, bear markets in bond yields to, to bull markets in bond yields. Uh, one of these is the distance from moving average, and the other one is the rate of change analysis. So we've just triggered a new trend change, a new paradigm into the fourth paradigm. And this is another paradigm like 19, late 1950s, 60s, and 70s, where we had year after year after year after year of yield, bond yields and interest rates rising. Yes, there were some very significant and strong pullbacks. Um, and I've indicated on this chart that we may very well see one of those, but it doesn't change, I don't think, the paradigm that, we, uh, that we're in. So the ProShares Inflation Expectations ETF, this is the way I analyze inflation expectations going forwards. And we've broken out through this cluster of evidence, bull market stage one, bull market stage two, when we cross this um, next uh, threshold. So for me, we're now in a paradigm of surprising inflation, but not surprising to me, but surprising to perhaps a lot of analysts, mm -hmm. where um, they'll come up with all sorts of narratives as to why um, inflation is proving problematic um, and eventually scarily um, high, I suspect. And this sort of leads to uh, another issue, which we have with the yield curve inversion. Um, well, Kev, if got, we could, if yeah. we could just go back to the to the last chart for a sec. Yeah, yeah. I think I think this is a a really important point, and obviously, you know, using the term paradigm shift for the change in that chart, I, I think is easily, you know, I don't even think is generous language. There is 
an absolute sea change in the behavior of that market, right? However, thinking about the ramifications of it, I think is is such a conundrum because on one hand, when we're discussing you know inflation, for example, if the Fed sees inflation ticking back up, you'd think that at very least they're going to hold rates where they are. If if not increase rates again, because you know many times Powell has evoked the ghost of Paul Volcker, right? To to be able to beat this inflation boogeyman that you know everybody is suffering from. However, on the other side of this, as you very astutely pointed out, we have this situation where the government is going to have to keep rolling over this debt at higher and higher rates that doesn't seem manageable, right? Now we're going to have falling, very likely falling GDP with growing debt again. And that is a very you know, untenable situation where ends up kind of really putting the Fed in in a between a rock and a hard place because on one hand, you know, they're going to need to cut to be able to service the debt. However, on the other hand, they have to be able to keep this inflation fight up. So it's it's going to be a really difficult time for the Fed and for these markets to be able to understand what's going to happen here. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one way out of this, of course. You know, one part of the equation that would um, ease the problem is if GDP rises rapidly, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, then that would cause debt to GDP to drop, and make it possible to raise rates and kill inflation. So the U.S. needs GDP to rise rapidly to have a solution to this. And I'll maybe leave that to your imagination as to how they might want to do that. Um, that that is really the only part of the equation that might save the whole um <laughs> save the whole thing from um f- falling apart at the seams i mean it probably will anyway in some form or another um but mathematically speaking and i just look at this from a very um black and white perspective mathematically speaking i don't need to know all the narratives i'm not really interested in all of that it, the chart speaks for itself um, and it has done for a good number of years now. Trouble is, of course, that the audience who are listening get very weary of hearing this over and over again because um, commentators have been saying for years that this is coming and that um, you know a terrible event is heading our way and debt's unsustainable and all that kind of stuff. Um, but having this chart, it helps you mm-hmm. um, position yourself. It helps not position yourself. It helps you have um, awareness of what's going on around what i'm trying to say is not very well <laughs> is that you have a feeling over the last several years that something not great is coming but having this visual chart it it makes it very clear when you cross that threshold and puts you into a new environment we crossed the this um 12 year moving average which has only turned up once mm-hmm. in the last 100 years the last time the 12 year moving average turned up was in in the 1950s. Um, it, it rose through the 1970s. Then it, it's been falling for decades and decades and decades. And now it's turned up very sharply. And that's only happened once in the last 100 years. So that's something, you know, when something happens that doesn't happen more than once a century, you know, you need to sit up and take notice. 
Um, Again, kind of going, reinforcing that idea of a a real paradigm shift. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not, it's undeniable now. We are in a new paradigm. It's just that, you know, it's a uh, frogs in a boiling pot scenario, isn't it? People haven't quite picked up on it yet. Um, And again, this is, this is something that is very helpful to look at over a long-term chart like this. You know, we're looking back over basically a hundred years of interest rates and, and yields to be able to explain and understand what happened and when and and the actual play out or playbook of those events and that well absolutely and you, you have to look at the big picture because if you don't it's a little bit like you know being a doctor and a you know a patient walking in and you know a whole range of uh, symptoms and the doctor only being able to look at your little finger um you know if you're just looking at what's been going on in the last you know let's say 10 years on a chart um you're missing the big picture mm-hmm. you know you can't diagnose somebody who's got you know a complex illness by just um visually examining their little finger you know you need to go into a lot more detail and look at the big picture and it's no different with uh, with technical chart analysis mm-hmm. if you want to know what's happening in the grand scheme of things and you know the the big forces that are at play then you need to look at 100 years worth of data or you know at least the maximum amount, amount of data that you have available to you of course the charts don't always go back 100 years <laughs> especially if you're looking at something like cryptocurrencies of course but um you know the the, the more data you can look at uh, the better mm-hmm. so so just kind of um th- this chart I, I i'll just zip past this chart but it it just shows you very quickly uh, how things have performed over the last well this century you know people complain about gold a lot but um but you know it's it's, it's up nearly 600 percent even silver's up um you know 350 percent and the s&p is up 288 percent so you know for anyone that's been investing in the last 20 years or like me started in the early part of this century with serious investing then you haven't really got much to complain about and it's all about timing mm-hmm. you know if you start this chart at a different point you know say you start it in 1980 or you know you started in 2010 then the returns are, are very different mm-hmm. so it's, it's all to do with timing but you know the, so far this century those are your results so you know if, if you hear people whinging and whining about you know gold hasn't done very well well they probably just didn't get their timing right did they and and that's what these charts help you with and mm-hmm. it helps you with the timing now this is what i wanted to get around to um, and the timing of where we might have some problems. Um, this is this is a chart for NVIDIA, and uh, it's a one point. Wow, <laughs> blooming heck! I, I <laughs> sorry, I, it's not often I'm lost for words, but um, I put a chart out this morning uh, on uh, on Twitter saying that this has got a market cap of one point six seven trillion. And I'm just looking down there in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. It now has a market cap of nearly two trillion. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, it's absolutely staggering. Yeah, Nvidia is up fifteen um, percent today. Uh, so what I was going to get round to is that we have a support line for the move up uh, with Nvidia, and Nvidia and charts and 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 um, companies like it. Uh, and there's you know half a dozen seven major um, leaders in the Nasdaq, the S and P, the stock market, 
Um, they're, they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting, it has to be said, for the, for the stock market at the moment. And if one of these multi-billion, or in fact, in this case, um, rapidly becoming multi-trillion dollar companies um, was to uh, start to decline, then it would have a massive um, effect on the overall markets, of course. Now, NVIDIA has carved out a, what we call a, a bearish rising wedge, or is starting to carve out a bearish rising wedge. It has three touch points on the lower support line. The upper resistance line only has two so far, so it's technically not a valid uh, resistance line yet. That has to be said. But it gives us an estimate as to where we're going to find major resistance by joining these uh, two major um, sort of peaks here. And believe it or not, we could be getting up to somewhere close to a 1,000 um, uh, I say believe it or not, but it's probably quite believable because it's only 25% or so above where we are at the moment. So um, it is entirely believable. But I anticipate that NVIDIA is going to grind its way up towards 1,000 or if it takes until later in the year and follows this support line until November to reach somewhere perhaps around 1,300. The support line reaches the resistance line in November, which I found interesting mm-hmm. because we all know what, is happening in the United States in November. So perhaps a day or a week after the election, this whole thing just um, collapses in a pile of dust and falls 77%. So I'm I'm not saying that is going to happen. The charts Mm -hmm. will have to confirm the breakdown first. But in terms of timing and technical chart evidence, what I'm trying to say is that the stock market, don't short the stock market when it's in beast mode. And clearly, you know, when we're in a you know, this stock is in beast mode at the moment. A multi-trillion dollar company going up by 15% in a day is, uh, you know, I don't know how often that happens. Not, well, not it reminds me of a, a tweet from Dave Collum the other day. He said, no overvalued market or asset class ever stayed overvalued. Not a single No, <laughs> no. And, and again, and, it's, and, it, you're just providing the roadmap here for that. that. Yes, and here's another roadmap for you, Tom, which um, might be my final chart, I think. Um, Maybe um, this is the this is the yield curve inversion chart, and uh, people seem to like this one because I've got a risk matrix in the top uh, left hand corner there, and this is the risk matrix that we used in the UK Met Office when we're issuing um, severe weather warnings for floods or for wildfire or whatever it happens to be. And I just want to explain this because it might help people to um, understand how to assess risk. Risk is defined by the likelihood of an event and the impact that that event would have should it happen. This is how emergency responders um, analyze risk here in the UK and I think uh, in most um, uh, developed countries around the world, uh, risk is analyzed in that way. It's a combination of likelihood and impact and it's used for for the National Risk Register. So um, the UK and other developed countries have something called the National Risk Register and we this, this is what my work involved, you know, when I worked for the Met Office, I wasn't, you know, standing up there, waving my arms around on TV saying it's going to rain tomorrow or whatever. I was involved in um, doing risk analysis work for emergency response and also forecasting for the Royal Air Force and for their for their um, flying sorties around the world. But um, in this context and applying it to technical chart analysis and it works, I think, really well in trying to convey the message because it uses a simple color scheme, green, yellow, orange, and red, which most people are probably familiar with, with sort of traffic light 
based systems where red means danger. Um, I'll explain the chart underneath. This is the 10-year yield minus the two-year yield. And it's usually a positive number because forward inflation expectations are higher than uh, shorter inflation expectations. So in other words, um, inflation has been quite low over, um, on average over the years, maybe two or three percent. It's always the target around there, isn't it? And at those sort of lowish levels, the um, natural line of thinking is that, well, at some point in the future, inflation is probably going to be higher than it is now. So the 10-year yield needs to pay a greater rate of interest than the two-year yield to encourage people to hold something for that long. Okay, so that's fine. That's the normal situation. You can see that 99% of this chart is above the zero line. It's above the red line. That means the 10-year yield minus the two-year yield is a positive number. Great. That's the normal situation. But there are occasions when the 10-year yield minus the two-year yield is a negative number and the chart dips below that red zero line. And that has obviously happened just recently. Um, and it means that the 10-year yield minus the two is a negative number. So, for example, the 10-year yield might be, uh, say, 5%, but the two-year yield is 6 or 7%. Mm -hmm. um, and that gives you a negative number because 5 minus 7 is minus 2, of course. Um, and that's during periods of um, raised inflation. And you'll be aware that inflation has been a problem recently. Um, inflationary, short-term inflationary expectations have been high because, well, we've had high inflation and it's been going up until recently. Um, so that's the situation we've been in just over the last year or two, rising inflation in the short term. So therefore, that's pushed the curve below zero, and that's an inverted yield curve, okay? So what's, what's known as an inverted yield curve. Now, at some point, the yield curve uninverts, and inevitably, the um, normal situation begins to uh, reassert itself, and longer-term inflation expectations will um, outpace shorter-term inflation expectations. That's the normal perfectly normal situation. But look what happens every time we interact with the zero line. There's every time, major, and particularly every time crisis. with major crisis, yeah. Um, now, I'm a, I'm a technical chart analyst using uh, meteorological techniques to um, show the likelihood of future directions. So that's my area of expertise. I'm not an economist, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you why that happens. I'm sure somebody might say in the comments why this happens and come up with some good um, explanations and reasons. But uh, sitting here trying to explain it now is going to make my head explode. So I'll be I'll be perfectly honest about that. And I, I'm not going to stray beyond my area of expertise. That's something I've learned very, very definitely not to do. But this chart very plainly does say that something is coming. Mm -hmm. And when it does, it's probably going to be given a name of some sort. I've I've heard the market sniper talking about this. I know you've in, interviewed um, market sniper on this type of uh, subject on a number of occasions. Know him very well. Um, actually, and, exactly what what this chart made me think of was yes, was he's this, he's, he's been about. saying the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, this chart is reasonably well known, but not very well understood. I don't think. Mm -hmm. So I'm just doing my best here to try and explain. Um, what the chart is telling us, and to try and get cut to the chase, really, because if we cut to the chase, you know, when when this chart interacts with the zero line and rises through it, we got a problem. And if that coincides with 
um, the stock markets showing um, signs of there being a problem. NVIDIA topping, rolling over, breaking down. NASDAQ doing the same. Um, warning signs coming from other markets, precious metals. Um, what's happened in the past is that when when this event happens, there's a sell-off, a broad market sell-off that takes pretty much everything down. Gold can drift downwards by 20 or 30% over the course of a year, for example. I think it did that in the early 2000, around about the year 2000 or 1999, around about that period. And um, so that would be normal. But the the roadmap would be that from that point, the stock markets are going to have a, sort of a lost decade. That's what happened between 2000. And people forget that we had 10 to 15 years between 2000, 2000 and sort of 10 to 15, where the stock markets went absolutely nowhere. Mm-hmm. People forget that. And what did gold during that, do during that period? Um, it went up by... Uh, 800%. In fact, I've got a chart here that shows you that. NASDAQ, 2001 to 2012, went absolutely nowhere. The NASDAQ chart is this uh, bar chart. 12 years of doing absolutely nothing. And gold, between 2001 2012, went up 800%. So Going back that, to our discussion on timing. <laughs> exactly. T- timing is absolutely everything. And recognizing the signals that the market is giving you is, is also very important. And do not fall for narratives. Whenever anybody says to you that the US dollar index needs to uh, go down for gold to go up, well, just show them this chart because between 1980 and 2004, uh, DXY went down and the gold price did much the same. In 2004 to to, to now, you've got uh, DXY rising but what does gold do what does gold do when the us dollar index goes from 88 to 104 since 2018 well in that period since 2018 it's gone up 700 dollars mm-hmm. and in the overall period from 2004 whilst dxy has risen gold has gone up from what is it on the left hand scale there somewhere around about 500 dollars mm-hmm. all the way up to 2000 dollars so over time and why, why is this? It's because the US dollar index is contained within a range. Mm-hmm. The US dollar index is just an index that's measuring the relative strength or weakness of the dollar versus the euro, effectively. Mm-hmm. So it's contained within a range. So you get fluctuations in the US dollar index. But whilst those fluctuations have some correlation to short-term movements for precious metals, over the long term, over the long term, gold doesn't, doesn't give a damn what the US dollar index is doing. Gold, yeah, is, that- gold tracks your loss of purchasing power. That's it. That's what gold does. It tracks your loss of purchasing power. So getting back finally to this risk matrix, the event when it happens will be a high impact event. Of that, I'm pretty certain mm-hmm. because history has told us it's going to be a high impact event. So high impact event, that's the right-hand column. We are automatically in right-hand column. We are currently at a low likelihood of, an, of a high impact event because we have not yet interacted with that red line and the stock market is not rolling over. As we get closer to that stock market target and NVIDIA target, for example, and as this progresses closer to the red line, the impact matrix um, check in the box will move up to a medium likelihood of a high impact event. And this matrix, um, which you know is obviously shown to, to our website members every week, um, is designed to give you a short notice. It's meant to say what's going to happen in the next 
several weeks to perhaps a couple of months. So there's no point moving this this check in the box up there now because there's no evidence that this is going to happen in the next few weeks or the next couple of months. It could be towards the end of the year. So we're sitting at the moment on a high alert, ready and in the knowledge that this is headed our way. But the assessment at the moment is a low likelihood event. It's low, it's, you know, it's low likelihood in terms of is it going to happen in the next few weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, it's going to be a high impact event, uh, but just not, um, you know, we're not antici- anticipating it uh, right around the corner. It's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a distance off yet. That's that's Which, that's how I'm interpreting interpreting the chart. Mm-hmm. Which again, going back to our Nvidia chart as well, that really is is pulling a lot of the stock market along with it, coinciding with you know towards the end of the year here. It's going to be, you know, probably a very tumultuous time just from this charting perspective, along with whatever ends up happening in the election. And it, and it makes it difficult for gold to break out versus the S&P. A, a major part of our evidence case for going long precious metals in terms of trading, I'm not talking about stacking precious metals, I'm talking about trading. Mm-hmm. Um, a large part of the evidence case is gold breaking out versus the S&P, as it has done in every bull market in um in the last uh, 50 years so whilst gold can drift upwards with the stock market going up quicker that would mean that the gold doesn't break out versus the S&P so I'm I'm not saying gold is going to go down necessarily what I'm saying is that for, for the real bull market to begin and to be really underway properly it needs to break out versus the S&P and the reason for that is because um you need the capital flows you need the capital to be attracted towards uh, precious metals, commodities, and all of those things, and that's not going to happen until you get the flows from uh, from the S and P, and that's you know that's how what history has shown us every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't suppose it's going to be any different this time. Gold can drift upwards; it can slowly move up, just not as quickly as the stock market. So, you know, um, relatively speaking, investment in the stock market will be greater than than in gold. But as soon as that ratio breaks. In the opposite direction, then it's go time for precious metals. Mm-hmm. Again, just showing that weight of evidence for the metals and when it's really time to pay attention to it and be maybe adding to your positions rather than keeping them at maintenance levels. Yeah. And there's, look, fear of missing out is a terrible thing. And mm-hmm. people think that if gold goes to $2,100, oh my gosh, you know, am, am I going to miss the move? I need to be in now. Forget that, you know, $2,100, $2,500, $3,000, that doesn't even scratch the surface. Think about it for a second. Gold moved from, from 250 to 2000 in the space of 10 years in the last bull run. And in the previous bull run in the 1970s, gold doubled, then it doubled again, then it doubled again, then it doubled again, then it doubled again, then it went up some more. <laughs> so, so, you know, we haven't even doubled yet, you know, from, from $1,500. Well, from the thousand, you know, from from the from where we are now, sort of breaking out of that handle, we haven't. Nothing's happened yet. Even if we go up to two and a half thousand dollars, you're really at the early stages of of what's coming. You know, you as a minimum, you would expect in, a, in an average gold bull run for this to go to ten thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's being conservative. People will say ten thousand dollars. What kind of world are we going to live in if gold is ten thousand dollars? Well. If you'd said to people back when gold was $250 that it was going to $2,000, they'd have said the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. And what's the answer? Well, the answer is inflation. Gold is reflecting your loss of purchasing power. And it, it it's as simple as that. How much purchasing power have we lost in the last few years? You know, gold is is always tracks that. Okay. Over time it tracks it. And that's all you need to remember. And observe the charts, observe the breakouts, observe the capital flows, the weight of evidence. And if you're trading it, use risk and money management. If you're a convicted, you know, if you're a stacker with conviction mm-hmm. and nobody's going to tell you otherwise and you stack your gold and silver. And over time, you know, that's proven to be a perfectly good thing to do because, you know, you can buy that house for the same price now as it was 50 years ago. If you're if you're an advocate of sound money and gold, you're not paying any more for that house now than you were 50 years ago. It's the same price. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an illusion. You know, nothing's gone up in price. Nothing, nothing's gone up. It's, it's that dollar that you hold in your hand that's been turned into almost nothing now. It's lost what ninety-seven percent of its purchasing power. Nothing's going up. It's your dollar that's going down. You know, don't think of it as you know prices of things going up. It's your purchasing power that's going down, and that is what gold saves you from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really important point, Kevin, and one worth, I think, spending some time speaking about as we've done here today because again it's just this reflection of the loss of purchasing power not necessarily you know your house or the actual cost going up and you know going back to that chart that we were looking at the dxy versus gold that's not necessarily a properly reflective chart of the value of a dollar that's just a value of a dollar against a bunch of other fiat currencies Against yeah, which are all the, which the are all going barometer. down the toilet versus gold, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> it's, so you know, if you it's please, not if you the, all of those currencies against gold, mm-hmm. that you know, gold is moving from the bottom left to the top right versus those currencies. It, and I suspect know. if we use the chart of let's say M two money supply or obviously inflation adjusted value of a dollar, the chart would be a lot more of an inverse correlation. To each other. But, you know, again, worth keeping in mind that these are just comparisons, really, and ratios against different assets. And we don't necessarily need the DXY, which is a basket of comparative fiat notes against each other to. No, for gold to move. You don't, you, you definitely don't. But what, what is very useful is to note that when um gold breaks out versus dxy that is another piece of evidence for a precious metals bull market mm-hmm. because what that's doing and it's hard to explain this but when gold breaks out versus dxy what it means is that gold is outperforming the us dollar's relative performance versus those other currencies so however strong the dollar is if gold is breaking out versus dxy then gold has the upper hand mm-hmm. and that's telling you that tailwinds are with you for a precious metals bull market it's one piece of evidence but it's a piece of evidence that gets added to the pile of evidence gold breaking out versus the s&p gold breaking out versus inflation gold breaking out versus the nasdaq gold breaking out versus m2 money supply all of these things when you look back at each gold bull market they all happen simultaneously mm-hmm. i say simultaneously not on the day same day or the same week yeah. but they happen in the same time frame and they all, when they all happen, and you've ticked off all those boxes, and they've all 
you know, gold's broken out versus all of them. Mm-hmm. Then you've got high confidence. Trading's about confidence. Forecasting is about confidence levels. Mm-hmm. People think you have to have 100% confidence or 0% confidence. You know, amateur technical analysts are all over social media and they, they say, you know, StockX is going to do this. You know, gold is going to do that. That, that terminology is wrong. It's fundamentally wrong. You can never say, I can't say what gold is going to do. Mm-hmm. I say what it's most likely to do, what the probabilities suggest, and I provide a roadmap, and that roadmap remains in place until one of the, one of the support lines is broken to the downside. So that roadmap comes out of those probabilities, that gold chart and silver chart, all these charts that I've shown you, they come out of a constant analysis of the probabilistic direction of those charts. And there are times, Tom, when you can't be very confident about what's going to happen over the last six or 12 months. I'll be the first to admit, I haven't been very confident about what the stock market was going to do. It's been all over the place. It had a had a big breakdown, then it's moved up, and then it's moved up. You know, the stock market has been a challenge, and I've found cryptocurrencies a bit of a challenge as well, because the, the probabilities have been um, quite evenly spread for a number of reasons um, until very recently, but particularly for cryptocurrencies. Also, um, getting that risk-reward calculation has proved quite difficult as well in, in, on many occasions with things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, um, finding a good swing low to um, anchor your stop loss on, all that kind of thing when you're doing it on a monthly time frame. And also, there are lots of other charts out there that give three or four to one risk to reward ratios, not just the stock market or cryptocurrencies or whatever happens to be flavor of the month at the moment. And, you know, of course, we've spoken about the miners and precious metals miners are are in the dumps and they they may well stay there for, um, you know, several more months. But at some point, they're going to put in a capitulation low that is going to be quite, hopefully, I think, quite easily identifiable on the charts. And at that point, if you're a you know seeking um, value, if you're one of these um, traders, investors trying to catch the bottom, then that would be a good a good signal. Of course, with my trading framework, I wait for a um, a proven breakout. Mm-hmm. I don't trust the chart until it's proved to me the direction that's going to go in. And it can only it can only do that by breaking out through you know these evidence um, levels that I've spoken about. So. You know, it depends on your own trading framework, but whatever your trading framework, stick with it and use risk and money. I must have said that about sixteen times so far. (laughs) Use risk and money management Mm -hmm. because if you don't, you're going to probably regret it. Mm -hmm. Well, Kev, I think we touched on a lot of important topics, and I hope I hope our listeners get some some value from this. I know, again, a it's not the sexiest stuff, but it is (laughs) extremely important. But b, you know, we've talked about this many times and i think our both of our thoughts are becoming more refined on this and i i really appreciate all of the charts and the data that you laid out for us today to be able to really walk us through how you're seeing these things and how they're developing yeah you're, you're welcome as always tom it's always nice to, to talk it through you know it, mm-hmm. i'm not here for the clicks i'm not here for you know media stardom and all that kind of stuff yeah. it doesn't really interest me i'm you know I, I i approach this from a very scientific angle a very sort of methodical angle and mm-hmm. um you know that's just the way that pat and i want to approach this you know we, we want to make it very clear to people what the downside risks are what the upside rewards are uh, and we want to 
you know, have, have longevity in this space and not make um, outlandish claims and not, um, you know, kind of fall, fall foul of some of the the, the pitfalls that, that often do um, you know, people fall foul of, you know, the mistakes that are made, you know, people make. And as I say, with a, with a background in, in, in forecasting and, a, and a analysis, you know, maybe have a little bit of an advantage from, from that point of view. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's fascinating stuff with the stock markets and, and precious metals and where all this is heading. I do find it, you know, every day is, uh, you know, I enjoy sitting in front of the, the screen and, and tracking all of this. It's uh, It doesn't feel like a uh, work to me. It feels, you know, I, I enjoy doing it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, we look forward to seeing more more of your enjoyment of the charts again, Kevin. Again, I appreciate your time. For those that want to see more of your and Pat's hard work, it's all available at NorthstarBadCharts.com. And of course, your Twitter handle at NorthstarCharts. You post a lot of stuff there that is, you know, of the important variety, but again, more of your guys' framework and ideas are all available on the website, right? Yeah, and we do our best to to answer uh, questions on there. So, you know, anybody's got anything they want to know, we do our best to answer the questions. Uh, and of course, the, uh, the website members get all of the detailed trade information. So, uh, and Pat, uh, Pat's at Bad Charts One on uh, Twitter. Uh, don't ask me why I chose at Bad Charts, but uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, that's where you'll find Pat on Twitter as well. So, yeah, it's not Twitter anymore, of course, is it? It's X. So. Well, we <laughs> we all know what we mean. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, I'll get it. I'll, I'll 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 get it in my head eventually. The the website formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. I can't call it tweet either anymore. It's a it's not an X, is it? It's just a post, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't think we need to be. I don't think we need to apply that level of accuracy to to, uh, to, to Twitter as long as as long as people know where to find right. us. That's the main yeah. thing, Tom, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. All right, Kev. Appreciate your time. Take care. Anytime, Tom. Thanks a lot. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.